I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, folks, and welcome to Hard Yards in Leadership, where we invite leaders from all walks of life to share some of their hardest yards. And as you've come to see, we all have hard yards in our respective journeys. Well, today I have an extraordinary guest for you. His name is Dane O'Connor, and you've probably never heard of him. But Dane has an amazing story to share, peppered with some of the hardest yards any of us will ever have to face. In our discussions today, he'll be sharing how he was busy developing his career in the banking world and rising up through the ranks when, horror of horrors, he found a lump that led to a cancer diagnosis. We explore the mental health battles that came with that cancer diagnosis and how it affected his work and his life and his relationships and how after beating one bout of cancer and he thought he was in the clear, he was then rocked when it came back, unfortunately worse than ever. This drove him to a major career change and today Dane holds a senior role with the Department of Regional New South Wales and does ongoing fantastic work with the Cancer Council. He openly shares how hard he has worked to be a great leader, both at work and for him, even more importantly, as a parent. And ultimately, you'll hear him describe how this journey, with all of its hardships, has changed his approach to work and and especially to life. I found Dane to be an extraordinary gentleman with exceptional resilience and a most wonderful spirit. So without any further ado, let me say, welcome, Dane. Not a problem, Wayne. This is um, exciting. Good. Fantastic. Well, Dane, there's so much we want to kind of get to in in this conversation, and you know, there's so many stories that I'm, I'm sure you're you're looking forward to sharing with um, with our listeners today. But let's let's just jump back in the first instance. You know, we talk about leadership, and and we're going to kind of explore that. So, can you remember when in your life you first kind of took some sort of leadership responsibility? When was that? Yeah, probably my first. Oh- what you'd say is a formal, you know, kind of leadership or something. I remember I went to a little school in – it only went to year two, like an infant school in Tamworth, New South Wales, and um, and I remember I, I got school captain there and I remember that was my first sort of um, big thing of being a school captain at I think I was seven years old sort of thing, so that was my first bit. And I remember it was a year where the school actually after, you know, 50 years actually moved to a new location, so I was the first school captain of, a you know, this new school where you had to, you know, Put time capsules in and all these different things. So it was a it was an exciting year, but I, I do remember sort of vividly about yeah what what happened there. So it was um, yeah that's probably my earliest memory of that. So yeah, and anything that you can remember, kind of learning as being a leader at that uh, tender age. Um, I do. It's funny. One thing I do remember. I remember before I was like when I was in kindergarten at this school, I had my brother who was in year two, so I was always protected and catered for my brother if I fell over or if I was, you know, anything happened because it was a small school, you sort of work together. But I remember in year one, he left. And I remember leaning against the toilet block, sort of brick wall, getting, you know, in that, at lunchtime where they picked the, the soccer team for the day. And, and I was always the last to be picked. It was just myself and this little girl used to always get last to be picked. And I always remember if I, when I get to be the leader of, you know, or, you know, being year two, I'm not going to let that happen to people at this school sort of thing. And I still remember when, when then when you two and I come later, I sort of made sure I picked the ones that wouldn't usually get picked and things like that. So it was just, I just, it's funny how you just remember little things like that. But I remember that was probably one thing what I sort of unconsciously wanted to do, you know, without being a leader. But I just thought that was something right to do in our little school. So yeah, that's probably just one weird thing I sort of remember from that. So 
Yeah, nice, nice story. And it's, it's really interesting. You know, I have obviously a lot of guests on, on the show with significant leadership responsibility and so many people actually have had their first leadership kind of gig as a kid at school and, and remember kind of things that happened that kind of ultimately, you know, whether they manifested in, in later years in formal leadership roles and so on, you know, we, we take a lot from our formative years, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then, so growing up and joining the, the kind of workforce and all of those sorts of things, same question again. First time, you, do you recall the first time you, you were like, okay, now I've now I've actually got a leadership job with a title? Yeah, pro- probably before, even outside work, I started like, I went through school, um, you know, just normal, you know, wasn't a academic kid, wasn't a sporty kid until I sort of got to about, I think I was around 16, sort of year 10, and I started to, I got into rugby, you know, rugby, and I sort of started playing that, and I enjoyed it. It was something, for me, being a short, stocky fella, it sort of suited me, being a hooker, like a lot of other sports, you know, body shapes are different, but the the blessing of rugby was any body shape you are, you can sort of fit in. And um, I, I sort of found I had a bit of a leadership, a natural leadership style on, on the football field, and I found it made me play better, being a, like if I was the captain of the side, I found I sort of, I did that extra 1%, you know, things just to, yeah. so I thought I've got to do it to show everyone that this is how it's done. So I probably found that a little bit in year 10 and I was actually, I ended up getting captain of my house like at school because I went to another school and only went to year 10 and um, and there sort of, yeah, and probably that's when I sort of started to think, yeah, maybe I do, I enjoy this, I, I enjoy the challenge of being a leader. So I did that. Then I went through year 11 and 12. I didn't go well at school at all. I, I sort of failed school. I was too, it's not that I was too busy doing other things. I just didn't, I was lost a bit, I think. I didn't know what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. So then I left school. I, I started being a welder for a, a little while and it just, I was still lost again, as I said. And I I hurt my knee. I, I, yeah, I did something in my knee and I couldn't play, I couldn't work for about six months or so. And I went into the branch of a, a state bank back then and there was actually two bank tellers having a bit of a blue and I sort of settled them down, you know, just, it was just, you know, just being sort of a young bloke, I think. And, um, the manager at the time said, Dane, do you want a traineeship? I need someone like you in, you know, in here to, you know, with all these, and it was, you know, actually, he said, with all these women, I need a, a bloke in here as well. So I said, well, I can't do anything else. So I did a traineeship in a bank. I never answered a phone in my life since before then, because I was just, but there, so that's how I got into my career in banking. And then from there, I actually, um, so I was, you know, just a bank teller. I moved around a bit, but I saw the commercial bank managers and, I just love the way they sort of went out and saw businesses, spoke to people, went played golf, and, and I thought that, that's what I want. And I said to the guys, "How do I become you?" And they said, "Go to university, do an economics degree, and get a graduate position at NAB." So that's what I did. So I went to university after two years after school, after I failed school. Um, yeah, got into uni. I failed a lot at uni too, but I didn't give up. And I and I got there. I ended up getting grad, a graduate job at National Australia Bank in the commercial side of things. And yeah, so I went there and I sort of ended up sort of leading their credit analyst team um, for a bit, which I really enjoyed sort of block. So I wasn't the manager, but I was leading the, the analysts. And then personal situations, I needed to get back to Armadale. And um, yeah, and one of the blokes who was my first boss at the state bank there, he worked for a what was it called? New England Credit Union back then. And um, he offered me a job back in Armadale to come back and run their, or start their sort of commercial portfolio for that bank. So, and then that sort of led from me from being a, a lender. Then I ended up getting into regional management because I sort of just found that leadership just naturally came in. I enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I ended up running um, the, the New England um, region for that. And then I finished that career sort of after, 
I think it was regional Australia Bank after 13, 14 years. And yeah, and I, I had a few challenges which sort of caused me to change. But um, yeah, so that's basically where my scale went. And I really enjoyed the regional manager role. I, I love seeing people develop. Like I just really like to see people go from a bank teller up to a manager or things like that. And you could really see their attributes at a young, you know, not young, but at, at you can just see people's attributes to be a leader just in and without being a leader. So that's what I really enjoyed. You certainly showed an extraordinary amount of persistence in, in the journey that you just described, Dane. You know, we we hear sometimes people kind of are going along and, and, and things kind of land land for them. Nothing really landed for you, did it? <laughs> you no, to work, no, work hard yeah. for it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, but I think that's life. I think, like, everything I've done, everything I do, every challenge I have, I think it's just um, I believe everything happens for a reason. I know it's, you know, a lot of people say that, but I do believe that challenges happen to make you stronger. And, um, and one thing my father said, he used to, run a um, disability service and he used to hire a lot of graduates and he didn't care what the marks were. He said he said it just shows that someone can commit for that amount of time, four years or no money, you know, doing something and that commitment for him was more important than what the grades were. So even though I'd, it's not that I tried to fail, I, oh, well, you know, I probably didn't do it, but it was, um, but yeah, I ended up getting there in the end. So yeah, it was um, definitely something you just commit to something and stick to it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you've alluded a couple of times to some challenges that you, you had kind of like later in life and and I guess you know for um, for our listeners there's going to be some kind of big stories to tell here so let's move forward and, and maybe you want to kind of share the first kind of fairly significant pothole that, that you hit on your road yeah yeah so when I was about 30 I was probably at the peak of you know I was regional manager doing really well you know thinking I was enjoying life and one day I just felt these t- a lump under my neck or two lumps under my neck and, you know, I was, I was playing football but I just felt like I was just not keeping up and I was sort of getting, and I thought, oh, I'm getting 30, I'm getting old. And um, anyway, I went to the doctor and they said, we better get it checked out, you know, these lumps. And it ended up being, which surprised me, they said, you've got lymphoma. And at the time, I didn't even know what lymphoma was and I remember saying to my, my ex-wife back then, I said, at least it's not cancer. Anyway, so then I Googled it and it, and it ended up being, um, after all, the, the thing, it ended up being an incurable non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I had to go through some pretty harsh chemo um, for, I think it was six or eight rounds, I can't remember back then, but that was 12 years ago. And that's where my journey started. So I had this um, chemo and it was pretty harsh chemo and it, I did get through it, only just. But what happened at the end, I got over it, but the biggest mental game for me is they told me it was incurable. It will come back, you know, and it's usually about 18 months. And I just couldn't sort of really fathom that, you know. I was I, At the time, I think I had three kids under four at the time and I thought they need me. And that really sort of then snowballed into a, a bit of a, a mental issue, I had, you know, mental health issue I had with anxiety. Every day I got up, I just thought, you know, is it, is it back? You know, if you had a little sniffle, you think, is it back? Um, mm. I had bruises under my neck where I continuously felt for lymph nodes, you know, um, mm. and it was just a – it was a mind game I had to play by myself because I didn't know anyone else would have been going through it or something like that. And as a result, I ended up having – going through a divorce, you know, and all that stuff, and I really went to rock bottom. Like I, I was working, but I wasn't there. You know, I could tell, you know, I wasn't leading how I should have been. I just wasn't there. I remember there was this couple of there was something that happened in my life where I thought, no, I've I need help. You know, I need to something's not right in my head, and I, I had thoughts, I had all that stuff happening, and then what I end up doing, and it sounds pretty cliche, is I got back on my bike, like I have, you know, I ride my bike a bit, and I just started riding, and just started, and that's what I did, started riding, and then every day I just started to feel a little bit better, a little bit better, and I, I call it the 
it's a one percent. You know, just try to be better one percent each day. And I and I sort of built myself. I got myself out of it. I, I, got, I found a new partner, and you know, there, there was a lot of hard times through it. But it, um, I got through it. And and what that taught me is that time when I went through that time is. Being a leader is not just, you know, when my kids were watching me going through this, it's not just about your title. It's a, it's about how you influence people. So you, you can you can lead without without a title. And and I learned different sort of just not rules, but I just learned different ways of it, it changed me as a person, which which is in a good way. So I as again that challenge is I, I take it as a blessing. Like I still have the cancer. I, I've gone through treatment for the last twelve years, things like that. I still have it, but I don't let it lead my life it's a part of my life yes but I've accepted it and it's actually it's given me the strength and motivation and made me more wiser as a person to become a better person for my for my children for you know for everyone involved in my life and but then again it's also sort of made me think that um work's not the biggest thing in my life either you know I, the, when I want to work when I want to go to work now I want to work and be challenged I want to be excited what I'm doing and um and that's what I've got doing now like I had a career change I've yeah and and life's Life couldn't be better, even saying that when, when I'm dealing with cancer. So, yeah. It, it's quite an extraordinary story, Dane. I wonder, maybe given that you've shared kind of a lot of the stuff that you've been through, let's just kind of give the listeners a kind of a sense of kind of, let's do the professional piece first. So you've had a career change and whatever else. Let's give kind of where are we at now and then let's unpack some of the some of the elements sort of going back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So basically when I was at the bank, I, I ended up becoming their senior business development manager. I love going out, talking to businesses, interacting with them, see what their aspiration goals are, working with the communities. You know, that, that's just my real sweet spot and I enjoy it and I, and, I, and I believe I was quite good at it. When COVID happened, obviously being a business development manager where you're talking to businesses, it... um. It really, you know, put a stop on everything, you know, in a way. But what I ended up doing, I ended up getting, I used to have these business development meetings where I get all the business management to get, and I used to lead this meeting to with, with the guys and girls. And um, I remember when COVID happened, we were thinking, what are we supposed to do? And I said, let's just ring up our clients and say, you know, not talk about banking, not to just say, how how's everything? How can we help? You know, what, what can we do to help you? Is your family, you know, just not trying to sell anything, not do anything. And when we end up, that's what we did. We ended up just ringing all our clients like that. It was amazing the feedback we got where they said we'd never expected our bank to be able to, you know, just just care about us like that. But mm-hmm. it ended up we got a lot of business out of it too without even trying. Like I wasn't even thinking about it, but it was just um. And but I think what I was probably, you know, proud with the team what we did there. We actually um we took it on on ourselves to do this. We didn't know what else to do. We said let's just ring our people. Let's just say how are you, you know, and it's just, just that human-to-human interaction. You know, we are all stuck at home and COVID, everyone was, you know, back those times I remember you had the TV on, you just you didn't know what was happening sort of thing. So, um, but that's what we did and um, and I was sort of quite um, proud of how that worked and it was just something where I, I led this team of just business development managers who were fantastic, we're all really good people, you know, people pleasers or, you know, like that. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it really worked that way. So, after COVID, so once that happened, I was still, you know, doing the business development stuff, but I just felt like I, I achieved everything I could in banking. Like I knew banking back to, you know, front, the home lending, things like that. And there was I actually, um, I found another lump. So I knew my cancer was back. So I got the test and, you know, it ended up it was back again and I had to get some more treatment. And I remember I went to ring up my boss and I said, I just want to tell you that my cancer's back. I've got to get treated. Um I remember saying I just bought another house, which I did. I don't know why I bought. I just bought another um, just just a spurt, and I said, and I 
I quit. <laughs> and he sort of said, what? Hang on. <laughs> I said, um, I just, it's not a bad thing. It's not a, you know, I love the organisation. I love that, but I just need a new challenge. Like, and I just, I think I was 41 or something at the time and I just, I didn't want to be known as just the bank person or the, and I just said, I, I wanted to prove myself in another industry with business development. So, yeah, so I quit. I, di- I didn't have anything to go to at that time. I had a few offers, but so that's why it probably gave me a few, you know, a bit of confidence there. And, um, and I ended up taking a job. It was only uh, eight months of Conwood or something with the state government, the New South Wales government, as, um, as their business development manager. And the reason I took that, I just wanted to challenge myself in a total different space that I never have, so in, in, in the public service. So I did that, and then since then, I'm still there. I'm permanent. You know, I've got the permanent I'm economic development manager now, which I absolutely love. So what I really do in my role now is I, I help the region, so the New England region of New South Wales with their economic development, so with their workforce attraction, with, you know, just helping industries collaborate together. You know, I'm sort of like the, the middleman who connects all the dots sort of with that. And I, and it's a different way to lead. And, and I think I'm leaning like, like for, for workforce attraction and things like that. So I'm organising forums and that for this to happen to help, you know, bring more people to our region, you know, to, to have the economic development. And I, it, I've got to say it's one of the most um, – it's, it's a challenging role, but it's quite satisfying. Like one day I might be looking at a billion-dollar, you know, infrastructure deal. The next day I'm looking at a, some park toilets, what we funded. You know, it's just every day something's different, but it's a real um, – I've got to say it's – I get a lot out of it. Like at the end of the day, I think you can see what you're, you're doing for the community and that. So it's – um, yeah, look, I used to be one of the people who used to always sort of bag the government and things like that, but it's amazing what, what's happening, you know, what what they're doing in in the doors and what they're doing for our communities it's it's amazing so I'm really um I, I enjoy the role I didn't think I'd be doing it for that long I just wanted to do it just to tick that say I've been off there but I've actually found find it a real challenging and um and satisfying job and I, I although I don't have a, a title of, you know I am an economic development manager I don't have the leader title I feel like I'm leading more than I have in any of my roles so yeah it's a yeah it's quite good and it's extraordinary Dane you know when you kind of like look at your story, you know, I mean, with what kind of got thrown at you at that stage of life. You had young kids, you know, marriage, life-threatening, that extraordinary element of incurable, and somehow you kind of, like, get through all of that, finish up kind of like reinventing yourself, I guess, somewhat personally, somewhat professionally, you know, and here you are today, you know, full of optimism, you know, with a new a new role and kind of and 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 boundless energy. We talk about this concept of hard yards in leadership and and you know, a story like yours r- reminds most of us that the things that we think are hard are, are actually pretty trivial, really. You know, a boss yells at us or all of those sorts of things. But you've actually dealt with someone saying you have incurable cancer. And I guess what I'd love you to do is kind of like take us back to kind of some of those most difficult kind of early days when you were dealing with that. And and I'm going to ask you to talk about, before you kind of talk about the work side of things, just like being a parent and kind of like how do you kind of, how do you deal with all of that and still front up and, and, and be a great parent? Because as you've said, you know, leadership is leadership is at, at home as a parent and, 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 and all other aspects of life as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've got to say that's probably... Being a parent, and I've actually got I've got five of my own kids, so five of my own, and then I've got three beautiful stepdaughters, you know, and it's um you know they're older, they're sort of um out of, but I've got five of my own, and um I find being a parent, it's a raw leadership, it's 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 the rawest level of leadership you can get, and one thing I really see, like you see a lot of leaders in in the workplace and that, and they it's it's more of a look at me, look at me, you know, but I find when you're leading your your, your children, 
it's look at you, you know, you're like, you're really sort of, you're leading, you want them to, to achieve, you know, like, and I don't know if I'll give you an example, but, you know, like, if my son was, um, you know, him and I at last were planting corn in, in the garden and it grew and we had a really good crop. And instead of me saying, look what I've done, I said, I said Darcy, look what you've done. You know, you, you grew this, you know. So it's really, and it's guiding them to make mistakes, kids as well. Like, it's hard. And I, my kids aren't perfect, I can tell you that. They're, they're not perfect at all. But I think my job as a parent is, is yes, to make, it, it is okay to make mistakes. They've seen me make mistakes. They've seen me at my bottom, but they've also seen me keep on going, you know. And my children have had some difficult situations, not on my side, but their other side. And the same thing I've always said to them, don't use that as an excuse. Like, don't let someone just pull you down and use that to say, I, I, I give up, just keep on going, you know. I said because um, – and the other thing that I've always said is my biggest – it's like a bit of a mantra for me is time heals everything. You know, like if you have a bad day, if you know, it's not going to be like that in two weeks, you know. And it's like me with, you know, my anxiety with cancer. You, yeah, I've got cancer. Yeah, it probably will get me one day. But if I worry, it, it's going to affect the days I've got left. Where if I just think, yeah, I've got it, I understand that. It's in my back of my mind. But let's, let's just – go double the speed on other other things and let's enjoy life, you know. So it uh, doesn't mean you don't get bad days. doesn't mean I still don't get anxiety. Um, it hits me. And it doesn't mean as me as a parent too, like as a leader, as, as a parent, I still have bad days with my kids too. Sometimes you yell at me and think, oh, that was probably a bit, you know, like I, I probably shouldn't have done it like that. One thing I do with my kids, like I, I thought one of my daughters did something because she often does do things and I, I really sort of, Gone text and I said, "How dare you do this? I'm so disappointed." But end up, I found out it was one of my other kids who did it. But what I've learned to do is, I, I, I apologise to her and I, I then I explained to her, "I did accuse this because you have done this, you know, x amount of time." But I said, "But I, 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 I take it all back. I apologise and I'm proud of you for not, you know." It's really showing the kids that we're not perfect and and that's okay. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes because we're humans. And I think we've got so much. Honest now, demand like the social media, all these things to be perfect, and we're not perfect, you know. And that's where I really want my kids to um to understand that you know they're going to make mistakes in life. But I think my job as their parent, as their leader, is to guide them, to give them feedback, but but let them make mistakes as well. Like I think that's the biggest thing is you know, like I made mistakes, I have, but with all the mistakes I've made, there's been something better to come from it and, and I honestly feel you know if you didn't get a promotion or something at work you feel you do you get a bit everyone gets a bit gutted about it you know but then but then you find something else comes around the corner which you think I'm so glad this happened and not that so it's um yeah it's just I, I just I believe in life that yeah, no matter what happens there, there's a reason everything's guided for a reason it's a fundamental optimism I think that you know you've obviously had to tap into significantly at different times as you've kind of gone through the challenges in, in in your life if you if you lose that optimism that's when you know it's it's very hard for, to stop the the waves kind of washing over the over the top of the snorkel once you lose that that sense of optimism but after you first got your diagnosis and you're kind of going through that rough patch it must have been very very hard to find that that optimism i know you kind of said you know you kind of you were struggling with that and then you you literally got back on the bike but take us through a little bit kind of that mental journey, Dane, because I think that's very hard for, you know, those of us who haven't been through something like that, it's very hard to com- comprehend just how shattering that that sense of lack of hope must have been and then and then to crawl out and kind of refine your optimism. I mean, that's extraordinary. Yeah, it was. One thing, it wasn't like I would never relationships break down all the time. Like that's just what happens in life. Like, and there was no, you know, there's, there's nothing that really, it was just, 
I was in a situation where I just, yeah, got told I was had this incurable cancer. At one stage, they said I'd only have two years, you know, and and then there was one stage I was in hospital when I was getting treated where the priest come in and I wasn't going to make the night, you know. So there was, I really saw it right to the end, you know, like and I saw, as I said, I, I sort of call it a gift now, but I, I, I can see that life has a, you know, there is an end t- time in life. And when that is, none of us know, but I, I sort of made a, a choice, you know, you know, a few years ago that, I'm not going to be scared of that either. Like, I think we should celebrate it. You know, like, it's like the Buddhism way of, like, they celebrate death and it's, you know, so that's what I've learned from there. But before I sort of really got into that, I, I just remember I felt like for me to keep on going in life, I needed to to totally empty everything out of my life besides my kids, obviously, but I just needed to have it. And I, I've always said it's like a... um a computer and you just totally defrag the hard drive, clear everything off your computer and start again, you know, start as a clean slate. And I, I needed that for my own mental health. It was nothing to do with anyone else, but I needed that to – because getting told you've got incurable cancer and that, it did. It, it did change me. I can't explain the, the feelings, but I tell you, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good feeling at the start. Like, I, And I didn't know how to – I didn't have anyone to talk to. The only people I knew had cancers were people who were in their 80s or something like that. It wasn't someone who was 30 with – you know, three young kids, a mortgage, you know, all that things to go on top of it. And on top of that, I was still trying to have a tough face at work too. I, I kept working whole through my treatment, not because I wanted to prove it, because it got my mind off cancer a bit too. And, and, and I enjoyed what I did. I enjoyed leading my people and, you know, the regional manager role was quite a, um, it was a good role. So, um, yeah, I, I kept on doing that as well. But Look, there's always going to have to be a break, a break point with everything, I think, and I, and I just kept on trying to go, 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 and, yeah, I think I just broke. I think I really broke, and it wasn't work. It wasn't – it was just everything, I think, just got to me, obviously, having the, the cancer, and, and it wasn't until I finished treatment when they said, oh, you, you're, you're in remission, like it's all clear, and everyone thinks, oh, fantastic, that's great, but for me, I knew that it was going to come back, so that was the biggest thing it was because people go, oh, well done, you, you beat it. I think, yeah, I didn't beat it, you know, I – I've just, this is round one, you know, it's like a boxing match, you know, I've got to go get it through it again. I always think my family, we play Old Maid, the card game. I don't know if you played Old Maid, but that's what I sort of feel like what my cancer's like too. Like I know that Old Maid's out there somewhere. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pick a card. It's going to come back. So it's, um, and that's, you know, that's my bit of fun way to think, you know, it's it will come back. And as I said, right now, it's come back now. It's in my spine. I, I know that, but. Now I've actually decided not to get treated at the moment. Like while I feel all right and my blood tests are all right, I'm not going to get treated. I'm just going to keep on going with life until I need to get treated. So I've sort of changed my mindset about it. I'm lucky it's not making me sick at the moment and it's not aggressive at the moment. So, you know, but I'm not going to be silly with it either. If it, if it does become aggressive, obviously I'll get treated. But I just want to sort of get as much out of um, life as I can. Yeah, so I might have got off track there a bit what the initial question was, but it's, um, it's, uh, yeah. it's all good. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership, where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. I hope every leader who hears these stories recognises that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It will help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. I'm curious, when you first got your diagnosis and you said you kept on working, and I understand that kind of sense of like use work as a distraction and you know you still got to fill your days, right? Do you remember when you decided to tell your work colleagues? Yes, yes, I do. Um, because... 
there was probably about oh, there was over a hundred people at the organisation, probably one hundred and fifty. And I was being a regional manager, I was probably well known there. I actually did it via email to everyone at the start because I didn't want rumours. I didn't want I don't know. I just wanted to come straight from me, not from Chinese whispers through other people because I knew it was pretty serious at the start. Like a, I was told that I may not make it in that, so I wanted to send. So I sent an email out as a whole to the whole organisation and just and I, I explained it. I said exactly what it was, you know what it means, you know, and, yeah, so I sort of didn't yeah, – I'm pretty open with that stuff. I don't I don't really hide things. So I've got nothing to hide with it. It, it. it was what it was. So, I, um, yeah, I remember sending an email out, and I'm glad I did it that way, I've got to say, because then, yeah, people got it. There wasn't all these different, you know, rumours about it and things like that. And then I and I also said to people, please talk to me. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. You know, don't – don't. I don't want people to step around because I've got cancer and things like that. So, um, yeah, so I was quite open with it, and, yeah, that's how I did it, so – you know, hats off to you on that, Dane, because I think, you know, we talk a lot about communication in leadership generally and, you know, whether it's kind of news about the corporation or news about you personally or whatever it might be, so many people kind of get into this habit of or grapple with this sense of, you know, maybe it's best not to tell people, but I think it's very hard to be authentic with people and hold kind of massive secrets. And and the simple reality is I think people generally deal with things so much better just by knowing and then you can kind of just sort through it i mean it is what it is and i'm sure that was you know it's kind of as you look back now it's kind of like you'd say you know that's one of the things that i got right you know yeah putting putting it out there like early on yep and now it's quite funny like now sometimes someone young will you know look someone in their you know 30s or 40s will get cancer and they come to me now like and i've had that quite a few times and it's it's kind of nice because I never had that, you know, I never had someone to talk to, you know, even if it's not the same cancer or, or whatever, but it's still, it's the same emotions. And mm. and it's and it's quite, since then when I was at the bank, like since I had my cancer, I think there was three or four younger people who end up getting cancer of different kinds. And we sort of, it was like a bit of a bond between us where we sort of helped support each other. And, you know, like we, we didn't know exactly, you know, we all had different cancers and that, but we got to, um yeah, support each other through that journey. Yeah. So You know, I, I know you kind of really are very, out there with like looking to help people now you know it's such a, an incredible gift to be able to give people as you say you you kind of didn't have that you know whatever people are going through to be able to talk to someone who's been through something similar is you know it's it's kind of it's the most powerful form of support that i think you can you can get i want to take you back again you kind of you, you talked about going through some really difficult time and and kind of you know hit bottom and stuff and then you talked about literally kind of making that decision to kind of start moving forward and, and and literally, you know, got on your bike. Can you take us back to that that space, you know, kind of do you remember kind of where that decision came from, where that new kind of like spark of motivation came from? Because that was really the turning point, wasn't it? You know, everything that's happened since then has stemmed from that kind of like spark that happened at that time, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. The thing that really sort of snapped me or oh, sort of woke me up a bit is there was one I had to go to Sydney for work there once and I remember um you know we finished whatever it was what we we're doing I went back to the motel room and I just drank wine you know and um you know I just I didn't go out didn't see anyone I just drank in my room and the next mor- morning I woke up and there was just red wine everywhere you know and, and I don't you know and I thought that's not me like that's not you know and I, I knew I wasn't I was not in a good space there and then I, I went back and I was, this is, you know, after I separated and that and I was in this little house and I, was, I didn't have the kids at the time and I remember getting up from bed, go to work and then 
about two o'clock that afternoon, someone knocked on my door from work just asking, you know, just checking on me. And I was just there standing, staring at a blank TV screen. It wasn't even on and I didn't even know what, you know, and that's when I sort of, that's what really hit me. I thought, I've, this, I need to, you know, change. And I, I did go to the doctor um, to ask for help and that's something what blokes don't do. And I, ne- and I never, it was silly, I never wanted to go to the doctor because I was so worried about if I went to the doctor about mental health, what happens to my life insurance, you know, things like that. It's going to be marked on my Medicare. And and that's, and I think that's something with mental health um, needs to be looked at, I think, in Australia because I, I was so, that's what I was worried about. I wasn't worried about myself. I was worried about, oh, because I knew I was going to, with cancer, I could go and I wanted to be able to leave my kids something. So it was... um. Just silly things like that, what I was thinking in my head without getting help. But I did end up going to the doctor and got a bit of help, which was good. But I ended up, I didn't take any medication. It was the exercise that really helped me. And I've always been into the gym and things like that. But I just found that, yeah, getting back into exercise, really pushing myself. So six months after the first chemo, I did um, this thing called Tour de Rocks, which is a ride from Armadale to Southwest Rocks, which is about 280 kilometers on a mountain bike um quite a hard you know it's going over the great dividing range and i did it and I, it was hard the first year I, I got pushed up hills and you know i didn't get off but i got pushed up hills and that and now i've been doing it ever since um you know i'm now on the border tour to rocks really help but um i'm doing it with my son now and i remember i remember the first you know when i was first going through cancer i thought i just i want the kids to get to at least four because that's what i google is when the when they remember things and i want them to remember me but you know and now for the last two years i've actually done the tour to rocks with my son so it's I like to challenge myself a bit with things. So I think our bodies are amazing what, what they can do. And it's a lot of it's in the head too. Like I, I could have easily said, no, I've got cancer. I can't do things. You know, I can't do things. But I mean, what I've taught myself to do is just just start. You just got to, and that's like with anything, it's you just got to do that start. And you're right. Like it's, um, you just keep on going. And I remember I couldn't even feel like I could walk to the letterbox. But then I started and then ended up within a few months, I was walking 7Ks. You know, it was, um, I just find that, yeah, you just you, your mind's an amazing thing. Like I think that's where you can really challenge yourself with your mind, and and you can do so much more than you you think you can. You know, sometimes you are. You know, look, sometimes I was sick and I couldn't do a thing. I can tell you that. But it's I think our mind's the one that gives up on us a bit. So it's um yeah, it's just trying to keep that yeah strong thing there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you know whether you're dealing with you know workplace pressures or things in your personal life or health issues, whatever it might be. Creating that kind of discipline of, of making exercise time, you know, I mean, for me, it's every it's every day. It's kind of like if I if I don't exercise in a day, I I, you know, I, I feel like I I haven't kind of been complete me. But it's not necessarily training for a marathon or or, or whatever it might be. Every day, it's just getting out there and kind of getting your body moving and creating that that space. I think it's also associating that time with kind of allowing that to be a time where you let your mind kind of clear and kind of literally let go of baggage as you're kind of exercising and, you know, just enjoying that fresh air and kind of celebrating your body, kind of being able to achieve what it's achieving, hey? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I've got a thing now, like it's when you're saying about stress is a work, it's funny, since I've gone through this cancer thing, I, I've got to say I don't stress much from work. I think you can only do what you can do. And I'm always doing Everything I do is from for the best for anything. So I, even if I make a mistake, I think I'm not. I haven't done that because I meant you know wanted to make a mistake. I've done it you know trying to be better for the organisation plus myself. I have an hour of lunch every day and I go for a walk, and that's a non-negotiable. Like I don't think a lot of people say, oh, it's all right for you. Oh, we're too busy. I think it's 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 honestly it's bullshit. You're not too busy. Like if you have an appointment with someone for an hour, a client, you you book it in your calendar. 
same with when I go, I do a walk and I find that I'm more productive through the afternoon because of my walk, because of what I'm doing than I would be if I didn't, if I just kept on working through, I reckon I get a lot more done, you know, and I've noticed now a few other people in the work, you know, are doing it as well, which is good. The other thing I, I do a lot when I used to be a people manager and that I used to do walking meetings, so one-on-ones that I'd walk. So I would go up to the park and walk around the park and that because I found that when you're walking side by side with someone, it doesn't, it's not me versus them. You can give true feedback without it being feel like being attacked or anything like that and I think when you just got blood moving and things like that people talk more too so people express more once they're walking so that was, it's a bit of a, a tool of all and I, I often use it now if I want to if I need to think about a decision I'll go for a walk and just think I walk quite a bit at work and you know when I'm on the phone I'll go at, I'm lucky I work in a building that's got a beautiful garden that but I when I'm on the phone I'm often work, walking through the garden so it's um yeah, I just think it's it's very important exercise for mental health and and you know to continue with your leadership journey yeah yeah, couldn't agree more. I think it's wonderful advice too with the walking meeting thing. And I know that some people kind of go, oh, yeah, I really should do that. And, you know, I guess I'd say to, to our listeners, like, don't say you should do it, do it. And you're 100% right in terms of the the way walking side by side with someone creates a different kind of dynamic and you kind of avoid some of those sort of awkward kind of eye contact things sitting across desks and those sorts of things, which is, you know, fundamentally, as you say, it is confrontational. But just managing your environment in terms of how you kind of interact with people can massively change the way that interaction goes. So, you know, it's a, a big, you know, tick of approval from me. Dan, I'm, I'm keen to kind of explore, you talk about kind of recognising the challenge of living with something that will always be with you. It's a rare challenge that that, that you face. Again, I think it's one of the hardest yards that you can kind of carry is to know that this is going to be there all of the time. And again, I kind of just want to, because, you know, every time I speak to you, I kind of, I'm, I'm extraordinarily taken with your sense of innate optimism and and the, the positive attitude you kind of bring to everything that you do. So, you know, again, I mentioned this before, you know, many of us in the, in the business world, we let stuff get, get at us and that stuff actually isn't that important, but you, Share your thoughts on how you've managed to do that and, you know, what people can take from that. I've got to say before cancer, things did get to me. If I got if if I got feedback at work, I hate if I knew one of my staff members, you know, didn't like something I did, I, I really got it I took it personally. Now I think I don't know, since I've had, you know, obviously had the incurable cancer diagnosis, it's taken a while it, and it's not all the time, but I just, it's something, it's probably a gift I've got now where if something happens at work and I, I, I do get frustrated with it, I think it's just work, you know, it's just, you know, it's not it's not my family, it's not my, you know, like things, we will get through this no matter what happens at work, you will get through it. And I always have that sort of, you know, there's a saying of you're always replaceable too, so don't think that you have to be there till, I saw a quote on Instagram yesterday where it said, um, something about in 20 years' time, the only people who remember how much work, your hours you did at work are your kids. And it's so true. Like, you know, like people at work aren't going to remember you 20 years because of all the work you did and things like that. It's it's about like, yeah, we're there for work, we're there for a purpose, but life's so much more to me and it is, should, should be for everyone than just work, you know. Like we, we, we should be working to live, you know, not live to work. Uh, I've take that mantra, you know, and that's something I, I do. I used to always just want to build to the top of the ladder. 
Although what I'm doing now, I'm I'm working now. What I'm doing is because I'm actually enjoying and I'm interested in what I'm doing. It's not about building the ladder, and I may go up to different roles. I'm I'm not sure, and I don't really care if it happens. It happens, but it's for, for me. It's about now. It's about just keeping myself. But like, why do something you don't enjoy? You know, I just it's crazy. And I, I did it for years, not not at the bank, but before that in different banks. I think why the hell did I stay with that stuff? Because it, I didn't enjoy it. I did it because of the title. You know, and that's I don't know. I've just sort of changed my um, way of thinking about titles now. It's it's not about, you know, I've got some mates who are, you know, sort of mowing lawns and that, and, and I, I inspire to them that they love what they're doing. They're, they're doing, they're outside, they're, you know, and I, I think it doesn't matter what you do. It's if, if you love what you do and you will inspire people to, to go further. But it's really, it's what cancer's done to me is just, it has made me think differently about not just work, but the whole, the whole life of, of how things, you know, like I think, if you make a make a mistake, use that as a learning tool. Don't look, and I, I sort of think that now. I don't think of a mistake as a as you know like bad you or well you know just use it as learn and move from it. You know, um, you know. I also think you know everyone has a past. Like accept it, move on. You know, don't always sort of go back to what you know. Like, and I find that with a lot of people with like when I work you know working with a lot of people, they may not have been that good at a certain role, but put them in a different role and they thrive. So don't always think about what they didn't you know did wrong in the past. You put them in, work out what they are. You know, like there were some people, like there's a lot of people who cannot talk to sort of go out and, you know, knock on doors or be business development that way where, but they're brilliant at being, you know, doing the analytical side of things. And you really got to get the right people in the right, right, right roles because, or you won't succeed. I'm hopeless of paperwork and I know that and I never will be good at it. I don't want to be good at it, but I know I'm good at going out there talking to people and listening and understanding. And, you know, I love hearing people's aspirations and how I love hearing their journeys of how they become what they are, you know, or how their businesses have evolved to what they are. And often starts, the biggest thing is it's always starts with a passion. The most successful people in business, it's always they've started with a passion and that's how it's built. So, and and they've solved a problem, you know, that that's probably the biggest thing I see for successful business people. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Hey, Dave, one of the fun little things that I like to do with guests toward the back end of these podcasts is play a little game. So I want to say, imagine you're sitting at your desk, you, you know, we have a normal working place, you know, look up, there's a wall or something over there. Imagine I give you a bucket of paint and a paintbrush and you get to paint some words on that wall that you get to see every time you look up. What 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 words are you going to paint on that wall? It's probably what I've said a couple of times here in the thing is time heals everything, you know. So if you had a bad day, just go home. Enjoy your family, come back, it'll pass. It's, it's, it'll pass. So no, I think that's probably the biggest thing I'd have on my wall and that's something I always think of every day. So Nice. Time heals everything. You certainly are a, a, are a living proof of that. This has been an amazing conversation, Dane, and you know, you, I, I really salute you kind of looking for these for opportunities to kind of share your story because I think any one of us, whether we've been through some health problems or whether we haven't, it's inspiring to hear of people who've kind of been thrown some of the hardest yards in, in life and continue to find their way through. And then especially to see people like yourself who then want to kind of get out and make that story public because you know that that's going to help more people. And, you know, I really salute you for doing that. And, and your sense of optimism and your sense of persistence and drive is honestly, it's an, an extraordinary inspiration. I kind of feel very, very lucky to have, you know, crossed paths with you and, and to be able to not just hear your story, but obviously through the podcast, share your story with with more people. So thank you so much for coming on today. And, and you know, I'm sure that so many people will listen to this and, and gain a lot of inspiration from that and, and, and learn some valuable lessons. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, Wayne. I've got, I actually enjoy sort of sharing my story because it's a, I love getting the feedback or people have similar situations and how you can help people. And again, I've 
listen to a few podcasts, you know, of what you've done as well, and I've sort of learned a lot of things too. So I think it doesn't matter what sort of side you're on, you always learn a little, you know, one of those little one percenters. It's it's great. So yeah, no, thanks. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on. Feel free to join our online community on LinkedIn. You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do, and keep believing in yourself as a leader.